0: Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're looking this morning at the joy of renewal. Part 2, dealing with the renewal of the heavens or the new heaven. First thing you'll notice in your bulletin outline that it is beyond description. According to our text and we'll get to that. In other words, no personal description no personal opinion allowed that's very important we start here because of all the people these days who are claiming to have died and gone to heaven and then came came back to write their books and schedule their tv talk show appearances they speak of meeting jesus they talk of talking with him they say they have seen their deceased loved ones they claim that God has given them a message to bring back to us earthlings, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and on and on it goes. Todd Burpo, a Nebraska pastor, wrote a book of his four year old's claim to have gone to heaven and returned while he was on the operating table. The book, entitled Heaven is for Real, hit the best seller's list, the New York Times bestseller list, in 2011, and by May 8th of that year it had sold over 4 million copies. A few short months. The boy claimed to have seen John the Baptist to see some relatives he didn't know existed, and he reported that people in heaven, not angels now, but people in heaven have wings and halos. wonder where he got that concept. 90 Minutes in Heaven is another book. This one written by Don Piper. I don't know anything about Don Piper. But his book was revealed by, reviewed rather by Pastor Tim Shallis of Grace Fellowship in Toronto. Sovereign Grace Man. And he writes, Piper's Heaven was a place of reunion with loved ones, a place of beautiful music, a place of literal pearl or pearlescent gates, and literal streets of gold. It is a heaven that can be so easily described to a human mind, using mere human words, as if it had originated in a human mind. Piper is able to describe it in great detail, but what he presents is surely far too human to be heaven. Quote. And he points out the book makes no mention of God, no mention of Jesus, He says it plays like an Oprah Winfrey interview. Most recently, this was just last week, I think, or the week before, maybe, Gretchen Carlson from Fox News interviewed Crystal McVie, a woman who wrote her book, Waking Up in Heaven, about her death during a surgical procedure. She said she died for nine minutes and awoke in heaven, and was sent back by God to tell us all, get it now, heaven is real, and God loves you. These kinds of accounts are readily available from many sources in the pop culture of our day, And especially, and sadly I say, from the pop Christian culture. Where a little knowledge becomes a dangerous thing. Let me give you four cautions here. And you have it in the bulletin outline. You can fill these in. Number one. Four cautions. All these stories, you're going to hear them from here on out. Beware of relying on children for your theological beliefs. That's number one caution. A four-year-old boy talking about people in heaven with wings, now not angels, but everybody has wings and halos, is a child who has been inculcated with worldly teaching on heaven that has no scriptural support. None. Zero. But how many times have you heard people saying, so-and-so's died and gone to heaven and earned their wings? You know, or they talk about halos. When children become our theological mentors, it is a sign of God's curse, not His blessing. I may read it for you. Isaiah is writing, See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. All supplies of food, all supplies of water. And then he goes on. The hero, the warrior, the judge, the prophet, the soothsayer, the elder, the captain of 50 and man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsmen, clever enchanters, Taking them all away. Next verse. I will make boys their officials. Mere children will govern them. Isaiah 3, 1-4. to It's a curse. God is saying, I'm going to take the men that know something. The counselors, the judges, the prophets, the preachers. I'm going to take them out. And I'm going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you boys. I'm going to give you children. And they will govern you. And of course what he's saying, of course, and what he's suggesting, of course, is that they're going to do a poor job of judging and they're going to do a poor job of leading and the people are going to suffer for it. So that's number one caution. Beware of relying on children for your theological beliefs. Number two, beware of exalting human experience as an authority equal to or above the scriptures. Let me say that one again. This is done all the time. Beware of exalting human experience as an authority equal to or above the scriptures. Now I would not call these people liars who are making these reports and writing their books. They obviously experienced something, then that something affected their thinking. But not all that we experience should be given a spiritual explanation simply because we cannot explain what or how it happened. There are deceptive spirits out there, chief of whom is Satan himself, of whom the Bible says, Satan himself masquerades As an angel of light. Get that. An angel. He masquerades as an angel. And an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. Now every one of these people that I'm talking about this morning claim to have seen a bright light or multiple lights and they believe this to be God or Jesus or something they cannot put a name to. You see, people are more superstitious than they are Holy Spirit taught. Don writes it this way, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Which you've heard is coming, and even now, is already in the world. 1 John 4, the first three verses. At least one of these authors, Don Piper, writing 90 Minutes in Heaven, makes no mention of seeing God or Jesus during his 90 minutes of excursion in heaven. How can you go to heaven and miss God? If your heaven is other than God, you in the wrong place. <laughs> that's, you in the wrong place, that's for sure. But how many times have we heard people protest when we challenge them? Don't you tell me! I know what I saw! I know what I heard! Well, that may be true, but then a spin is put on the experience which has nothing at all to do with what was seen or what was heard. It's the interpretation that will kill you. Of the scriptures, Peter could say, Above all, you must understand. Listen to what he says this. Look how emphatic he is. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along By the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1 verse 20 and 21. No spin! O'Reilly would say. This is no spin zone. It's really true when you're coming to the scriptures, when you're coming to prophecy, when you're coming to revelations. No spin allowed! Well, the days of receiving revelation and writing scripture, those days are long gone because our Bible is complete. You should not be expecting new revelations from God. New in the sense that they're not already in the book. Number three. Caution. Beware of revelations which deny or add to the biblical record. John tells us that the canon of scripture is complete. And that being so, here's what he says. (coughs) I warn everyone. Whoa, he's going to warn us? Yeah, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. Ooh, that sounds serious. He goes on. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19. Now he's throwing down the gauntlet. That's pretty serious uh, penalties for messing around with the prophecies of the book, either by way of addition to or subtraction from. Along with the authority of the Bible, which we accept as the alone word of God, we also believe in the sufficiency of the Bible's teaching. Is it something we need? Another something that we need? The Bible plus? Or is the scripture sufficient? Listen to Paul. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, Training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Now not partially equipped, but thoroughly equipped. Not somewhat informed of God's will, but fully informed. Do we really need someone coming back from heaven to tell us heaven is real? I mean, hasn't that subject been fully covered in the teachings of Christ and the teachings of his apostles? It's nothing new. This is nothing new. Number four, beware of storytellers. Beware of storytellers. It is said everyone likes to hear a good story. But you need to be aware that if so, we need to maintain the distinction between fiction and reality. How many people there are who are ready to dismiss, dismiss the opening chapters of the Bible? Creation, Adam and Eve, the Genesis flood... They dismiss all of that as fables when we have corroborative evidence from the teachings of Christ himself on all of these themes. But these same people will gullibly ingest any tale of the supernatural just because the storyteller is a contemporary and can speak with moving sincerity. Wow, I like that story. Peter warned his audience about teachers who in their greed will exploit you with stories they have made up. Stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. 2 Peter 2 verse 3. Millions of copies of one's book on the bestseller list could be ample incentive to write such a book. I'll let the motive to the author, but you and I do not have to buy into the premise that's being proposed. Are we people of the world? Are we people of this book? Do we know the scriptures? Do we know something about heaven so that we're not bamboozled by all the pop rhetoric that's going on even it's coming out of pop Christian culture by the way that's a sad commentary on Christian culture bad this brings us then to God's prohibition on Paul which basically is the underlying foundation for what I've been saying See, what are are you talking about? Well, look, Paul in our text refers to his experience of being caught up, his word, caught up to paradise, verse 4 of our text, where he heard, note now, inexpressible things. Now, not at all meaning that he could not describe what he saw. That's not what he's saying. But as he goes on to say, inexpressible things that man, and may I say, any man, any woman, any child, that man is not permitted to tell. He said, I could tell you. But I'm not gonna tell you. I'm not permitted to tell you what I saw. Now isn't this interesting? The great apostle Paul, who admits that he has been the recipient of these surpassing great revelations from God about heaven, verse 7 of the text, he has a gag order placed on him by God himself. But the average Christian contemporary of our day And some who profess no knowledge of God are peddling their books and becoming blabberskites of all the fantastical insights they allegedly experienced when they went to heaven. Tilt, tilt, tilt. When you read something like that, in light of this scripture that we're reading, it ought to come up tilt. Something's wrong here. This is utterly unreasonable. And it belittles both the man Paul and his office as an apostle. Means An apostle means one sent out by God. Well, the one sent out by God has a gag order put on him. I know you saw what you saw, but you can't tell what you saw. Now that brings us to this question. What's the difference... Between these heavenly experiences alleged to have occurred with these contemporary writers of our day and say the visions of heaven which we find in the scriptures because they are in their scriptures. We know a number of people in the Bible had visions of heaven. What's the difference? For example, when Stephen was being stoned to death by the Jewish Sanhedrin for daring to accuse them of crucifying The Lord of glory. Luke records for us Stephen's words. And here's what he said. When they heard this they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Acts 7 verse 54 through 56. There's the account of Daniel. Daniel writes, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. I didn't even know thrones had wheels, but this one does. In my vision at night I looked, and There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Daniel 7 verse 9 and following. Now we have Paul's account in our text where he says he was caught away into paradise. And then we have John's tremendous vision that comprises an entire book that we know as the Revelation, the last book of our Bible. Now again I ask, what distinguishes all these accounts from the reports, from the books that people are writing today? Well, let me suggest some things for you. Number one, all the people in these biblical narratives are alive and well and living in this world when they saw these things. These were visions, not alleged actual physical presence with God in the physical reality, geography of heaven. Didn't happen. And when it did happen with Paul, God says you can't tell anything you saw. Secondly, the visions they saw were not of their own making. We read it earlier. Peter says, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. Never. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1 verse 21. Do we really expect a person that's an unbeliever who supposedly went to heaven and came back, do we think that their message is because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit? It is believers that are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And only believers that are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Read about it in Romans 8. Number 3. In some cases, these writers of Scripture did not know or pretend to know what they had seen or heard. Let me read this for you from 1 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11. There was mystery here and they couldn't figure it out. They didn't say, I saw this vision and here's what it is. I got all the pieces lined up. Boom, da, boom, da, boom, da, boom, da, boom. And well, they had visions of the glory to be revealed and they were scratching their heads saying, I wonder, I wonder what that meant. I wonder what this means. You see, they were vessels, instruments used by God to declare what they saw, but no spin. When they didn't understand it, they just didn't understand it. Number four. The visions they saw often added new understanding heretofore not known concerning things eternal and thus became part of the sacred scriptures. In other words, no redundancy, no telling of truths already clearly spelled out in the Bible. Heaven is for real. None of that but new things that were added. The scriptures, while the scriptures were still open, while the book was still being written, if it is after all the book of God, it is after all the word of God. And so as the centuries went along, the scriptures were written and one book after another was added till the canon, the whole was complete. So that's quite a bit of difference between someone zipping off to heaven, seeing things, coming back, telling you stuff that's already in the book, the book of books, It's totally different. Now that brings us in our outline to the renewed heaven. What's renewed about heaven? Number one, everything sinful in us as believers is purged away. While we talk about others and their sin, let's talk about us and our sin. Everything in us that is sinful is purged away. Last week we read from... Malachi that God is a refiner's fire and that one of his disciplinary tasks is to refine his people. Well, you know what I discovered this week in my studies? I discovered that the refining process, the refining process now, is never said of the wicked. It's never said of the unbeliever. It only applies to believers. To me, the, light, that, the light, light bulb went on. I'm thinking about this. So God comes as the refiner's fire and he's working on the sin in me as a believer, but not upon the unbeliever's sin. Hmm. Why? It's getting me ready for glory. That's why. Here's what the psalmist says. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and you laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But... But, you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings, and I will fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised, and my mouth spoke, when I was in trouble. And the implication is, vows that he spoke when he was in trouble, but he didn't keep. No, no in God's book. So God brings the fire of refining to the psalmist. That's Psalm 66, verse 8 through 14. Isaiah writes, I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away from your, your dross and remove all of your impurities. I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counselors as in the beginning. Afterwards, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city, Zion will be redeemed with justice. The penitent ones will with righteousness. But, but, rebels and sinners will both be broken and those who forsake the Lord will perish. Isaiah 1 verse 25 and 5. See what's going on? He's refining his people. But the rebels and the sinners who don't know God, they they will be forsaken and they will perish. Jeremiah has a similar word. O my people, put on sackcloth, roll in the ashes, mourn with bitter wailing as for an only son. For suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. I have made you a tester of metals and my people are the ore, That you may observe and test their ways. They are all hardened rebels going about to slander. They are bronze and iron. They act all act corruptly. The bellows blow fiercely to burn away the lead with fire. The refining goes on in vain. The wicked are not purged out. They are called rejected silver, because the Lord has rejected them. Jeremiah 6:26 through 30. Notice here, there's no recovery through purgatory. This is going on in life. The Lord is disciplining us in life, purging us, refining us in life. Daniel's ministry ended with these words from God to him. Many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise, they will understand. Daniel 12, verse 10. So God brings about the final discipline and correction needed to prepare us for glory. That correction involves purging us from all of our latent sin and disobedience. Progressive sanctification ends up in glorification, which is the final sanctification. May I say that this has ever been the intent of Christ? This is nothing new, but this is He's going to do it in the new heaven. Let me read it for you. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her what? Holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Ephesians 5 verse 25 through 27. That's been His intent all along. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's that purging, you see, there's that refiner's fire. These have come, here's the reason, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 1, verse 3-7. through The reason trials come is to perfect you in your spiritual graces. And he mentions one here, faith. Now, here's why. John takes us in the Revelation to the portals of heaven. And here's what John writes. Nothing impure will ever enter it. That's why. Let me say it again. Nothing impure will ever enter it, heaven nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, verse 27. Well, what happens to the wicked? What happens to the disobedient? God has that in the text too. Let him answer. He says this, Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. In other words, there's no refining. There's no reformation for the unbelieving. The day of salvation has passed them by. They had their opportunity to believe in Christ and to repent of their sin, but they wouldn't do it. And so he's basically taking his hands off and he's saying, okay, go ahead and be wicked. Go ahead and be vile. Remain that way. That's what you wanted. That's what you get. It was your choice. You made the decision. But then he goes on in the text. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning, the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Next verse. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts. The sexually immoral. The murderers. The idolaters. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Revelation 22. Verse 11 through 15. You see, no reformation. But they don't get to enter either. They're kept outside. Let me put it this way. Jesus will have his radiant church without stain of sin. Eternal love will have its predestined end. We know that all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, Jesus, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified, made right. Those He justified, He also glorified. That's sanctification sanctification complete. Romans 8, 28-30. John writes in the Revelation, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, come, I will show you the bride. I'll show you the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Like jasper, clear as crystal. Revelation 21, verse 9 through 11. The Holy City, the Bride of Christ is a holy city. and It's because of the purging process of the new heaven. God working on our lives. Make us like Christ. So that's the first point. Everything sinful in us, in us, is purged away. Can't wait. Can't wait to have no more sinful thoughts. Can't wait to have no more sinful deeds. Can't wait to be like Christ. Number two. Everything sinful in the world is banished, barred, or otherwise eradicated. (coughs) Satan and his demons are banished in the lake of fire. Let me read it for you. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20 verse 10. That's the end of the tempter. That's the end of the accuser of the brethren. Of all unbelievers, skeptics, mockers, evildoers, self-righteous and unrepentant. He writes, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and the sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, Standing before the throne. Notice here that death is not annihilation. Death is not nothingness. Death brings you before the throne of God. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done, then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Romans, or Revelation 20, verse eleven fifteen. So those that have followed Satan, they share Satan's fate. They go where he goes. Now you see what God is doing here. He is eradicating... All that is evil, all that tempts, all that pulls people away from holiness of life and obedience to God. And he is establishing his kingdom on righteous turf alone. The new heaven. The hallowed ground will be righteousness. The occupants will be holy as God is holy. And they sang a new song we read. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood... Jesus, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Revelation 5, verse 9. So firstly, we're purged in the new heaven and new earth. Everything sinful in us, but we're prepared for glory. Secondly, the earth is purged of its evil. The tempter goes, evil people go, the false prophets or preachers go, and so on and so on. Now number three, everything associated with sin will be gone in the new heaven. Let me read it for you. Revelation 21, 4 and following. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning Or crying. Or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation 21, 4 and following. Let me ask the question Are you spiritually thirsty this morning? Spiritually thirsty. Is your soul parched? Do you really like the pain, the sorrow, the tears that your sin brings into your life and into the lives of those that you love? No? Really? Then why have you not come to Christ? Why have you not taken Him up on His promise. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! Let him who hears say, Come! Whoever is thirsty, let him come! And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Revelation 22 verse 17. Jesus Himself is that water To the woman at the well, steeped in immorality and sin, he said, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. John 4, verse 14. Jesus, and the forgiveness of sins, is the only water that will quench your thirst for peace and rest. He wants you to know this, and this is why He chose to close the Canon of Scripture, the last book of the Bible, with this gracious invitation. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You have to take it. It's free. doesn't cost you nothing. It costs God something doesn't cost you anything. Take, drink, live. May the Lord grant you that desire. May he draw you to himself this morning. May he bring you to the fountain of Jesus Christ. May he allow you to take and drink and have the thirst of your soul quenched for all of eternity unto eternal life. Our Lord, we're thankful and appreciative of your word. Praise you for your goodness to us. Pray that you will bless us with the truth of this wonderful revelation concerning the renewed heaven. No sin in us, no sin in the earth, and no consequences of sin. We look forward to that day. Bless these truths we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.